good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, coming to you from the studio at the Coming Home Network International, Central Ohio. But, but uh, maybe most importantly, you're hearing us over EWTN Radio. And it's a pleasure to do this program, and I'm glad you're joining us. If, uh, if you're new to Deep in Scripture, I would encourage you to go to the website, chnetwork.org. That's the website for the Coming Home Network International. And there's all kinds of great stuff on the website, but you can also click on the media link. You can go to Deep in Scripture, and you can literally watch my guest and I sitting here in the studio talking to each other, uh, looking into the Word and we'd love to have you join us. You can even check in and chat with others who are watching the program. We want to encourage that because we love to see the discussion that some of you have when you're listening to the program and communicating with others. Now, this program is in many ways a continuation of the Journey Home program that aired on Monday evening on EWTN television. And so the same guest that I had on the program Monday night is joining me on the program now, and that's Nicole DeMille. Nicole, thank you for joining us on the thank Deep Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, it's good to have you here. The uh, What we try and do in this program is continue a little bit of the journey that you discussed on Monday night, but we didn't have a chance to look at the scriptures and to see in what ways the scriptures also both helped you come to an understanding of the church as well as how they continue to help you grow in relationship to our Lord Jesus. Just in case the audience didn't hear the program Monday night, let me read a little bio that we have here. Uh, Nicole DeMille is a stay-at-home mom of two children living in the Cleveland suburb of Chagrin Falls, which means you don't work at all, right? You got it. (laughs) Bonbons and (laughs) feet up on the coffee table all the way. absolute (laughs) joke when I say that uh, because my wife is also, uh, I don't even use it, uh, that stay-at-home mom because she's really at home. She's out doing everything else, you know, taking care of our, our, now we just have one son back at home. Uh, Nicole is a native New Yorker. Uh, This Ohio transplant changed more than her home state, she changed her theology in her life when she converted to Catholicism from lifelong membership in the Lutheran Church. Nicole is a high school English teacher by profession, but now spends her days raising her children full-time and actively participating in Catholic school, parish life at St. Anselm Church in Chesterland, Ohio. Her particular focus is on educating people about the healing power of the church's teachings and how the church's radical message for the individual and for society is truly the only hope we have. And I couldn't agree more. Uh, Nicole, I want to remind the audience if they haven't, they didn't hear Journey Home on Monday night, they can go to EWTN.com and listen to the program. Of course, it will be broadcast again. But you mentioned there that a part of your focus is educating people about the healing power. Expand on that a little bit about the church's healing power in her teachings. Well, in a couple of ways. It's really twofold. As a a high school teacher, I saw young people coming into 15 years old already, completely broken, and very little guidance, very little structure, no spiritual foundation. At best, they would be labeled SBNR, you know, spiritual but not religious. Um, Now as a mom uh, myself, there's a whole new set of problems and a whole new set of reasons to be deeply invested in educating people about how the only thing that's going to heal our broken society is going back to our Creator and the church that uh, the Lord established for us. Instead of looking to ourselves to be the authority, looking to the authority that He set up just for this purpose to help us wade through uh, this world, which is becoming increasingly confusing, increasingly secular variety of choices that are all presented as equally valid but cannot be, and simple logic tells us they cannot be, Um, and yet it's more and more difficult to navigate them. And I have a vested interest in it because I have two children. Mm -hmm. The, um, if you connect the dots between the world that our teenagers experience in their lives and what I mean is what teenage, what high school was like when I was in high school back in the late 60s, 
when you were in high school. 80s. 80s. <laughs> and what our children are at now in the in the teens of the 21st century. So we've got like 20 years apart and then 20 years, 30 years apart. Um, it's rad, it, it, It's amazing to see how life has changed. Yeah. The pressures in their lives, things that they are needing to decide about today that never crossed my mind when I was in high school in the late 60s or yeah. even in the 80s when you were in high school. Yeah. Well, things even between the 80s and the 60s. Oh, and even when I, when I was teaching high school, to now it's it just keeps degenerating at uh, a faster pace it's like a you know rock rolling down a hill and it's just gathering speed i mean even what i learned when i was teaching high school would would curl your hair the stories that i heard then and and now it's just the age is getting lower and lower where your children are fair game for the messages of just early, you own your own identity, you can sexualize that identity if you want, you can make all your own choices, they're all equally valid, and if it feels good for you, then you determine that truth. And that has become its own sacred dogma, which is laughable because they'll, you know, pick on you as a Catholic and say, well, it's so dogmatic, it's so dogmatic. Ain't nothing more dogmatic than our culture today because it just tells you, you better allow for every possibility or you're narrow-minded. Goodbye, and we dismiss you. You had mentioned Monday night that you had had a a very uh, vehement atheist as a fellow teacher at one point, and it makes me wonder how they would describe the the trajectory when you connect the points between the 60s and the 80s and then when you taught in the 90s or early 21st century and then now mm-hmm. that that trajectory is going in one direction yeah. and it certainly smells of evil oh i i agree m scott peck who wrote the book um uh, the more famous book that people know him for was uh, um, The Road Less Traveled, but he also wrote a book called The People of a Lie, which was his experience of as a consular seeing this and recognizing there is evil yes. here. But how would your old atheist buddy have described what's going on? Would he have said there's no trajectory? Well, just... you know, no, because he was raised, he was sort of a 60s child um, at a time when the rhetoric was flowers and peace and love. Uh And he didn't have any malice in his heart when he was, you know, trying to sell this package to me. Uh, I think he would be pretty surprised. He passed. I think he would be surprised now at uh, what's being sold because there is no love and peace and flowers in the hair in it today. It is nasty and vitriolic and it will come and get you. And some of what I've read on some of these discussion boards and the vitriol that's been thrown at me is, again, yeah. enough to really uh, get you ready for the battle lines. And Peter Kreeft writes a lot oh, about the culture war. Highly recommend it, anything oh, that Peter writes. Oh, Peter Kreeft, awesome. And yeah. again, he reminds us the enemy is not the people saying these things. The enemy is the same enemy we've had since day one. And from day one, he said to us, did God really tell you not to eat of that tree. He didn't really mean that. <laughs> you know that won't really happen. And we're still believing the same line. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the, the slant of that temptation by the devil is, and, and I think this is important, there are differences we understand things with Catholics and Protestants, is what the devil said to Adam and Eve was true. Well, you're not going to die. It's just that physically they didn't die. Right. But they died spiritually. Right, right. And so we live in a culture that only looks at the physical and says, hey, you know, I'm doing all this stuff, and look, at I'm just fine. Yeah. Uh, they're not seeing the spiritual death that they're inviting into their lives as they make choices for eternity that they may be blind to. Or maybe they know, and they say, I don't care. You know, this is what I want to do now. Yeah, well, there's a couple of schools of thought. There's the, there is no heaven or hell, and there's the, well, there's a heaven, and, you know, Rob Bell, everybody gets in, so what does it matter? Yeah, yeah. In fact, you're Lutheran. Well, we both were brought up Lutheran. And uh, comparing Luther's understanding of the will, the depravity of the will, and what do we do with evil, uh, and Catholic understanding, of course, is much closer than we are to the rest of society. Because in essence, 
both Lutherans and Catholics would see us as if we're on one of those moving walkways at an airport. That if we stand still as a result of our nature, we're going to move in in the direction that our culture is going. Mm -hmm. And it takes grace to move against that. Yes. The Luther would say, no matter how much grace in this life, you're not going to, on your own, be able to... To walk against that. I remember once seeing a woman at an airport walking the wrong way. It was funny. And I, uh, it was an older lady, and we kept saying, you're going the wrong way. And she just never heard what we were saying. But you know, she was standing still yeah. while she was walking. Well, that's the, almost that's a great the, analogy. That's almost yeah. the best you can do from yeah. a Lutheran perspective. Mm-hmm. Totally depraved. You're, you're, you're lost, just covered with the righteousness of God. From a Catholic perspective, from a spiritual perspective, John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila, Scripture we recognize by grace, we can, in fact, move into union with Jesus. Yeah. It, but, but as uh, the great spiritual writers say, you never reach a place where you can say you've arrived, because if you're not progressing, you're losing ground. Well, and that's why I'm glad that we get a chance to talk about Scripture also, because as a Lutheran, especially as the years moved on and the church became more loosey-goosey, you know, Scriptures I would just have to ignore because I would say, well, if it's so assured, then why would Jesus say this? Why would he say that? Why would he talk so much about hell? And, you know, why am I reading about weeping and gnashing of teeth if that's really not a danger for me at all? Let me pull to that first verse. You've chosen okay. uh, about five of them here, five different sections, and there's so many that we go into, but these are great. And I'm going to read, uh, uh, Nicole's chosen as the first scripture she'd like to discuss is James chapter 2, 19. If you don't mind, Nicole, I'm going to read 18 first and then 19, mm-hmm, sure. and then if you would, uh, maybe I'd love to have you talk about how you understood this as a Lutheran <laughs> and uh, and then how this verse has become important to you. I'll begin reading with verse 18, and this is uh, James writing, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I by my works will show you my faith. And then the verse you chose. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Well, that's an example of a scripture that I would have ignored as a, <laughs> as a Protestant. That's the short answer. And I could see why Martin Luther wanted to uh, make a campaign to expunge James uh, with, along with those other few books he expunged from, from the Bible, because you really can't reconcile that. And I, I do hear so often now that, and, and even would have said it as a Lutheran, well, as long as you believe, and that will inform your works. You'll see good fruit coming from someone who believes, and that's how you'll know. And we would sing it on Sunday, you know, we are Christians by our love. So I just would have categorized it that way and moved on. But the passage clearly shows that belief isn't all there. The, the devil believes, he quotes scripture, uh, is very intertwined in our lives and can even be with us, you know, as we're sitting and discussing Scripture and making decisions about our spiritual life and certainly will tremble. There's a lot to tremble about <laughs> if, if you're the devil when we're all on our game. Uh, but when we're not afraid of him, when there's even a question as to his legitimacy, his power, his existence, as there is today, then uh, this passage loses something because people just want to ignore that that half of the scripture. Yeah, the and I'm trying to remember how I understood this as a Lutheran because I had my Presbyterian phase mm-hmm. in between because Lutheran was mainly my upbringing. Um, but there's this resistance to avoid a misunderstanding of Catholic theology, and that is that this presumed idea that Catholics think that by the good things we do, we earn our way to heaven. Right. And not only do Catholics not believe that, that the church declares that a heresy. Right, right. And the only reasons that Protestants believe that's a heresy is because the Catholic Church believed it was a heresy first. Right. But there are Catholics that don't know their faith very well. Have you met a few of those, Nicole? Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> really, any Catholic I knew who, who and, and I would ask the questions just casually. Again, I was not exploring the Catholic faith in in any way at all growing up. But I would ask people to go to their houses and ask them different things. Oh, well, this you know, well, no one really does that, or no one really believes that, or just as simple, I don't know. But there are Catholics that believe that, well, you know, I was baptized, and I went through confirmation, and I was catechized, and so I go to Mass, and therefore I'm a good person, and oh, I'll go to heaven. Sure. And um, there are entire Protestant evangelization programs that are built on this misunderstanding, assuming that Catholics can answer Oh, because, you know, faith. those people are ripe for the picking, the people who are wearing the Catholic jersey, but, you know, not playing in any right. of the games and haven't read the rule book. Who They're ripe for the picking. Who think by their works... They right. will be safe, but that's not what the church teaches. But there's also this other then build on that misunderstanding. We have the Lutheran reaction, which is the 180 degrees, right. that it's only faith. Right. You put your faith. There's nothing you can do. Your depraved will. You're you are a sinner. You're lost in sin. The only thing you do is put your faith. But one thing that I didn't see, and I don't know if you saw this, Nicole, that this is almost a Gnostic separation of the inner thinking and our body. Right. Well, that's that was something about Lutheranism that I really sort of welcomed that change in my conversion to Catholicism. I mean, there's such a, a separation between, you know, the flesh and the spirit. And yep. now it is, your, it, it's your total being, and the sacraments just enforce that in such an amazing way by making marriage a sacrament, by receiving the Eucharist, by your postures during confession, uh, just everything. As I said before, I was reading a um, Catechism of the Council of Trent. That's one of the things I've been reading, and they talk about the slap for confirmation. Just everything, you know, the body is involved yep. with the spiritual life. It's not this, you know, separation of this dirty thing that sins, and then you shed that, and it doesn't matter what you did in that sinful body that you shed, because then you go to heaven. Although that's a tempting message, certainly sola fide, when you're sinning, because it doesn't matter what you're doing. Yeah, it's a bit of a misinterpretation of of Paul's chapter 7 of Romans, when he's saying, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I can't do mm -hmm. it. It's sin that dwells within me. So there's this idea that, you know, I, I've got it right upstairs in my head, but right. my body I can't control. But the that's a truncated understanding of the Incarnation. And the beauty of Christ, God so loving the world, that Jesus, his son, became a human being. Right. And, uh, and we see that wonderful understanding of this wholeness of, of Christ as God and as man. And, and I would encourage any of you listeners, if you haven't, to look at the section in the Catechism on this, because it, it deals with all these questions. But this idea that, okay, if I believe... I'm saved, regardless of what my body does. And it's interesting, Nicole, that you mentioned Monday night, that one of the stages of your own journey was that you and your husband-to-be had chosen mm -hmm. to live together before you were married. And you were supposedly a faithful Lutheran. Yep. And in essence, that's a, a visual example of, I still believe up here, so yeah. I'm all right, regardless of what I do with my life. And that does run rampant. I even saw that when I was in Protestant seminary of some of the stuff that was going on, yet we believed. But the Catholic view is that that our our belief is all that who we are yeah, and what we do with it. That's why, that's why for example, Paul VI, against all the pressures, still stood for the church's teaching on life and con against contraception mm -hmm. and against abortion, regardless of what the culture says, because what we do with our bodies is a direct expression. Yeah, and you of see how faith. dangerous that separation is. I mean, look what that's turned into now. And th that was another, <laughs> you know, another thing that drew me into the Catholic Church. You know, talking about the pro-life issues. I mean, huge. I, I was anti-abortion yep. my whole life. And as I saw that also just completely falling out of the Lutheran Church, yeah. that was something else that drew me in. Here was, you know, I was going to get some backing for my own belief. Of course, we also didn't see as Lutherans that, okay, if we're separating what we do in our mind from what we do with our bodies, but the choice of God 
is an act of the will. Well, why isn't that a work? Right. It's it, it's a thing we choose. Yeah, anything you do is a it's work. A choice. You can't if, escape that. If we have a depraved, totally depraved will, then how do we ex- explain that? Again, you, we as Catholics agree that even the fact that we believe is a gift of grace. We recognize that, but God never forces anyone. He allows us freely to respond. And I would say again, the writings of the saints, so useful in that regard, the catechism, you know, just bumpers that I did not have around me as a Lutheran to explain the verses in scripture that I could never have explained as a Lutheran. The Another verse that you had chosen for us to examine is Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 20, which is parallel to Matthew 16, and this is Peter's confession. Matthew 16 has the, the extended portion about receiving the keys and, and, and the, the unique gift that our Lord gave to Peter. But this section, uh, again, focuses on his confession of who Jesus was. Let me read this. And again, I would first reflect, if you would, from your position before, mm-hmm. and then how you see this now, verse 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the people say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the old prophets has arisen. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Yeah, we'll talk about a real before and after. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because before as a Lutheran, I might have looked at this passage and, you know, looked at it as an individual. You know, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It's what, you know, what is my, again, that personal relationship with Jesus? You know, what what do I say? And it was a, a scripture that I went back to Um, as a Protestant many times in my heart. And then I looked at it again during RCIA. We talked about it during RCIA, during my my conversion. And this time it was a challenge to me. You know, Nicole, who do you say that I am? And, you know, what was I going to decide? And then finally, in the third phase of it, looking at it for what it really is, Peter's profession of faith and how Peter became the rock and cornerstone of the church, how he got the keys to the kingdom, how he became the first pope, and how that all fell into place and started the apostolic chain that our, our church still has today. So talk about evolution of <laughs> when you pull a passage out and have it just in isolation, and then when you have it in the context of church teachings, how the meaning for you changes. The meaning, the real meaning never changes. The truth is there, whether you believe it or not, <laughs> but the meaning for you um, becomes clear. And I hate to admit, but when I was a, a pastor, um, I would pick and choose mm-hmm. scriptures uh, to emphasize certain things. And what, uh, when I emphasize this very passage, and I preached on this often, yeah. because again, I was always calling people to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior and to surrender their life that I would emphasize the verse in Matthew 16, which, uh, in which Jesus responds to Peter and, and emphasizes that flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And so I would emphasize that, our, that Peter's response, just as ours, is a work of grace. Right, right. But I would ignore everything else in yeah. Matthew 16, oh, sure. <laughs> you know, about Peter being elevated. But I would emphasize again that it is our our individual response right. to grace. And uh, again, if you don't have a church guiding your interpretation, you can do whatever you want. Absolutely, and the possibilities are infinite. <laughs> All right, let's take a break, and we'll come back in a moment, pick up on our next passage. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. I'm joined today by Nicole DeMille, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. 
This Deep in Scripture radio program is produced by the Coming Home Network International, a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. You can listen to any of our past radio programs by logging onto our website, which also offers a wealth of information on our Catholic faith, including conversion stories, an online forum, and available resources to help you to find the truth of our faith. Visit us today at www.deepinscripture.com. Get an insider's look at the latest information from EWTN. Sign up for WINGS, EWTN's weekly email newsletter. Get the latest information about live events, special features, and guests. Connect with EWTN on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the WINGS link to sign up. Don't miss a minute of all that's happening at EWTN. Get your WINGS today. CH Resources is excited to offer you Marcus Grodi's latest book, Thoughts for the Journey Home. If you're not Catholic but are looking seriously at the Catholic Church, or if you've recently entered the Church, this book will provide you with wisdom and encouragement for the journey. And if you're a lifelong Catholic, it makes a great gift for family and friends you're hoping will come home. To order a copy, visit our website at chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Don't forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Nicole DeMille, former Lutheran, and uh, we're just having a good time chatting <laughs> on some of these scriptures. Um, and both of us have Lutheran background, and, uh, and both of us come from faithful Lutheran churches. So it's interesting to compare um, the, the Lutheran interpretation of Scripture and Catholic. And, and I will say, Nicole, that there's no one Lutheran way well, no. I mean, first of all, there's Missouri Synod and ELCA, and then even within that, from parish to parish, pastor to pastor, you can even have variations. Very much so, because, in fact, the my mother, who was Lutheran up until a couple of years ago and then entered the Catholic Church, her Lutheran church, which was ELCA, well, I was brought up LCA, um, Lutheran Church of America, but the ELC, where she goes, calls it Mass every Sunday. Wow. Full robes <laughs> every Sunday. Yeah. Eucharist. That's what they're calling it. When I grew up, it was once every month, the first Monday of the month. It was not called Eucharist. Uh, we did come forward and kneel to receive it, but not on our tongue. But um, and, and there is a lot, too, that you can, you know, with all that flexibility there, again, and my mother was, you know, a devout Lutheran, and there was a lot of reverential, uh, you know, about her when we were growing up. She always received on the tongue. Right. Um, I never know where that came from. <laughs> well, that would, would have been a continuation yeah. of the Catholic tradition that Luther himself would have continued um, and then, you know, the radicalness that things eventually changed to where it's... Oh, well, by the know, time I was administering communion, I was handing out the shot glasses. Yeah, right. I mean, that was not Luther's trajectory. That was those after him. But you've drawn our attention to the third section of Scripture you'd like us to just consider, and that's the John 6 passages uh, in the, the 50s. John's chapter 6, 52 and on, are those very... Uh, bold statements by our Lord about his real presence. Yeah, and this was huge. Obviously, the Eucharist, huge um, just revelation for me that was one of the things that put me over to when I was converting and just said, I can't go back because now I know. And it was like scales fell off my eyes and, you know, what was I thinking before kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, Luther had a problem with Thomistic theology. So... And again, I'm not an expert on Luther, but just as I've picked it up because of his own formation on the philosophy of of the medieval scholars and how he was kind of like any of us going to college 
and mm-hmm. we take a class on philosophy, it might be totally anti St. Thomas. And so you're in your teacher and they're just ripping. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what Luther experienced. And he was more of a nominalist than uh, the Thomistic. And so he reacted against the church's teaching on transubstantiation, but he did not want to let go of the very words of Christ. Yeah. Luther wanted, this is my body. He wanted to take a stand for that against Calvin and right. the, the others because he believed in Scripture. Yeah. And he saw this. But how do you live it out? And how do you understand that when you put that bread on your tongue, it still tastes like bread? Right. So Luther said, it's both and. Yeah. It remains the bread, but it is Christ. There's, and so it was a, an awkward transition. So many Lutherans, make when they make this transition, think they've always believed in their real presence when they haven't. Um, so let's, But let's read this passage. There's a bunch of them there, but the one you've chosen. In fact, I want to read 50, verse 55 and 56. Because mm-hmm. Jesus says in 55, For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Then verse 56, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. So as a Lutheran, did you did you skip over these passages? Or? Well, as a Lutheran, you know, I remember my husband asking me, so what what does the Lutheran church really think? And I said, well, it's like Jesus is there, but he's just hanging out there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, his, his presence is there. Yeah, over, around, but and under. he's not there going in your mouth there (laughs) and it was you know it's one of those things when you try to justify it and explain it even to your own ear it doesn't sound right Uh, but you you don't question it too deeply and again what other teaching was there I didn't know the Catholic teaching on it and again not not really knowing any Catholics who could sit and sit me down and explain it to me I didn't have the reference, and I had no reason to go and Google it and figure it out because I wasn't looking into <laughs> switching <laughs> to the Catholic faith. When I started reading uh, during my conversion and then went back to the scriptures that were applicable to the teaching, then I was wowed. And I was ashamed of my own behavior when I was administering communion, hmm. um, some of how it was treated, some of the joking that would even go on on the altar hmm. when we were you know, who's going to finish the wine? Well, you know, who's not driving? Just it, all of it, yeah. you know, to me then seemed so unseemly. And it, it was good that I had that period of RCA when I was not permitted to receive, uh, because the night that I made my profession of faith and my confirmation and received Eucharist for the first time, I, I can't compare it to any other experience that I've ever had the first time that I really knew what I was doing and received Christ in that way. And that's when I really feel, okay, now talk about personal relationship. You don't get more personal than that. A good example of why the church has a closed communion, which a lot of Protestant churches do. So it's not just a Catholic thing. There's a lot of, I'm telling you, the Scottish Presbyterians have about as closed a rail as anybody. But anyways, is, let me ask you this. When you used to distribute communion as a Lutheran, mm-hmm. what did you do with what was left over? Did you treat it as if you were holding in your hand the oh, creator cer- of the universe? Certainly not. If it fell on the floor. Well, that, and that de- again, that depended because some of the older folks who would distribute with me, if it fell on the floor, they would have to eat it. Yeah. It was just this belief. And the wine that was left over, they would send me in the back to pour it into the ground. Um, and yeah. I didn't know why anybody was doing that. It was just a thing that we did. But again, it varied according to who was serving that day um, because th- there didn't exist yeah. one uniform policy. And basically, if you think about it, uh, Luther's view is it makes sense when you approach the scripture sola scriptura in other words okay i'm left to figure this thing out yeah and there's nobody who's ever lived why should anyone who's ever lived claim to have 
a, a better understanding right. of scripture than me right in that sense <laughs> you know i mean they've got scholars but we know there's some scholars out there that are obviously wrong just look at the any shelf of books at a bookstore yeah. there's opinions everywhere so if i'm guided by the holy spirit and i desire to do what's right and to believe what's right why shouldn't i believe that will that? guide me right so you read a verse like that and you, you do the best you can but if, if you did that with the trinity scripture alone that's why we had all the heresies in the third and fourth century right. people trying to interpretation interpret the trinity well and that's why that question of you know if you ask a protestant you know when if you don't believe in the catholic church okay when do you think it went off the rails was it immediately from like the handoff from Jesus to Peter? Was it the next day? Like, when was that? And Devin Rose has a new book out, If Protestantism is True, and his structure does that just perfectly. Yeah. You know, if that's the challenge. If it went off the rails, when do you say that happened? When was it? Yeah. So who put together the Bible then? Mm -hmm. Who assembled that? In the Trinity or the divinity of Christ, these were... Uh, difficult issues in the early days of the church and left a sola scriptura, you're not going to come up with the Trinity on your own because it isn't that clear in, in the Bible. And anyone, I mean, I challenge anyone out there, when, when you say, yes, it is, what's hard is for you to step back from the assumptions you've had all your life as a Christian yeah. and not see the Bible through the tradition I just recently heard on television, I don't want to mention his name, but a very highly respected uh, uh, Protestant evangelist, highly respected, maybe the most respected. He was, he, he was making comments about the politicians, oh boy. Uh, you know, <laughs> and, and how he felt about their views mm -hmm. on issues of life and contraception and all that. And he just rattled off verse after verse as if that's all that's necessary. Yeah. Well. It wasn't just the Bible alone. It was his interpretation of the Bible alone. Right. Because he wasn't expressing what everyone believes about John 6, but what he believed about right. John 6. And so, I mean, Christ, what do you see then as a Catholic, Jesus saying in these verses? Oh, and it was so clear to me then when I looked at it with those new eyes, you know, that, the, yes, the, the, here I am. I'm going to be here, you're going to have my body with you. I am going to be with you. And it does join the flesh and the soul in a way that, again, there was no way to access that as a Protestant at all. But, you know, going back to the point that you were just making about, you know, just riffing off of the Bible and <laughs> being able to make it into anything you want, you know, I would suggest people look at what is said today i mean look where we are with prosperity gospel i mean you can take scripture pull it out of context and that's how we have prosperity gospel with preachers literally throwing dollar bills up on the altar and having people come up and dance on them yeah. and that's going to make god give you money in 10 days i mean this is what we've yeah. come to with sola scriptura yeah i mean there's there are groups that take everything to an extreme, you know, different extremes, depending on where their personality, their character is, maybe their character flaw is. I mean, on the one hand, the charismatic gifts are very scriptural and the church recognizes those, but there are some that take them to extremes. Right, and everyone is his own pope. So yeah. you can determine that for yourself. They will decry the concept of a pope, but you know, I know who my pope is. It's Benedict the Sixteenth. It's not yeah. the girl in the mirror, and it's not a very famous Protestant evangelist who it might be a nice guy and has great hair, but he doesn't. <laughs> he's not a pope. Yeah, and well-meaning, you know. The, oh, and and uh, our, the, our, they're great. They're great people, and sometimes doing great things and and giving and tithing. In but fact, that's I, just works. In fact, I'm going to say that. Uh, we need to take another break here, but when we get back, I want us to look at the First Corinthians 11 passage because I think it it brings us right to the issue. Yeah, like how do you explain that one? <laughs> Bless me. you. Well, I mean, the issue is he's saying that the way we understand the Eucharist is important. Yeah. 
And so we'll come back to that when we come back from the break. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Nicole DeMille. And you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com. The Coming Home Network International is a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are interested in learning more about our Catholic faith, or if you know someone who is interested in becoming Catholic, please visit our website at www.chnetwork.org or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host today, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Nicole DeMille. And we're looking through a series of passages that in some ways do have a trajectory to them, uh, Nicole, because we just talked about, you know, the danger of of using yourself as a as the deciding voice on what Jesus meant in those very powerful passages in John chapter 6, or what it meant when Peter made that profession back in Luke 9, or what it means to believe, or we decide for ourselves. But this brings us to an important passage, this 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 29. And the, I want to say this is right in the section where any of you listening who go to a church that celebrates the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, when the priest or the pastor is giving the words of consecration, he's generally quoting 1 Corinthians 11, which is actually the oldest recorded uh, words of Christ because it's believed this was written down before the Gospels. So, So we have Paul passing this on, as he says, because he received it. And so we see that oral tradition uh, carrying on the liturgy. The liturgy was the center of the oral tradition in early church. Yeah, before any, before there was a Bible, they were having church. <laughs> yeah. How were they doing it without the Bible? <laughs> and these were the words. But the, the verse that you've chosen to look at in verse 29, I will admit when I, as a Presbyterian, did the Lord's Supper, I didn't quote this. Yeah. But it's in Scripture <laughs> because Paul says, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. Yeah. So as a Lutheran, I'm sure that was one of those verses you memorized. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, I've used the expression before that I was selectively taught, and that is something I would not have been taught and would not have explored. But looking back at later, talk about trembling, because I wondered, you know, wow, wh- what judgment have I brought on myself? Yeah. And now I look at it in a whole new way when we talk about you know, Catholics, before we go to Mass and receive, you really need to examine yourself. Examine, you know, that's why I love the idea yeah. of the daily examination of conscience, and certainly weekly before you're thinking about going to Mass and receiving, and to really know what you're doing there, and you're in the presence of of Jesus, and he's going to enter you in a very real way. And why would he use these words? Uh, you know, drinking unworthily. Well, yeah. wh- what would that mean? Uh, you know, unworthy how? If what I do doesn't matter, if this is just a symbol, why would this be so important? And discerning his body, you know, th- that can only mean one thing. Yeah, yeah. And I would say you mentioned that you remembered when, as a Lutheran, you would help distribute the 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 elements of communion, that there were older Catholics that had a, a higher respect. Yeah, there was definitely more of a, refer- a reference that I saw with my mom, with some of the elderly right. parishioners, and it, it just started to, through time, because of course, you know, without any kind of structure around it, without any backup, and when you're going with the times, uh, mm-hmm. it, it just started to decrease. 
And I do believe that high church Lutherans as well as high church Anglicans and Episcopalians have a very high view of, of the Eucharist because there's where we, we find ourselves united with our brothers and sisters because when we, we all sit back and say, it is a mystery, it is the body and blood of Christ, that's what our Lord said it was. Right. If we want to do the best we can to express that mystery, that's what the church and the philosophers have, have tried to do with transubstantiation. You know, that it's the, the part we see and touch, the accidents have the, the look and feel and taste of bread and wine, but the substance of what they really are is the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a mystery. How's that? That's beyond us. And that, that gets down to the fact that our souls have no senses. Our body does. Yeah. Our soul. There's a mystery there. So there's a mystery. And I think those old Lutherans, old Anglicans, old Episcopalians see the mystery. And they, they show this respect, though we don't believe it in the same way. Yeah, but you know, without a guiding body, th- there is nothing to keep that in place and to hold that reverence there. Yeah, because maybe their understanding of the relationship between faith and works is not what it ought to be, but yet their love for our Lord Jesus, their faith is yes. real, sincere, their desire to be faithful, the desire to see a passage like this and say, I don't want to uh, be guilty right. of not discerning Yeah, but how this. do I not do that? You know, in the pew, how do yeah. you not do that? And you, you look for guidance, and it's not there. Because we can be very sincere in what we want to do to honor our Lord Jesus, but the danger is that being sincere doesn't mean we're always right. That's the sad thing. Look around us. Our, our, our culture is full of people doing crazy things. It may be out of sincerity. Yeah. And maybe they have a deep desire to do what's right, but their conscience hasn't been formed so that their understanding of what is right isn't. Well, and even looking to what communion has become in some of the mega yeah. churches or the pop churches, the rock and roll churches, now it's any anything, any drink and any yeah. form of bread, and it's given once in a while, and the format, I mean, it's it's whatever yeah. it is now. It's anything yeah, I, goes. I know one mega church that has, doesn't do it at all anymore. Yeah, I'm not surprised at because that at they, all. Because they saw that it wasn't that appealing to the people who were coming. It was hard to sell it. Um, it, it wasn't like an action movie, you know how you would put it that way. It was complicated. If you're having a church of 2,500 people, you're getting all these people to come. Right. Well, how are you going to do this? So they would rarely do it because they, they saw no meaning. Look for other things to have meaning. Right. Of course. And you, you can't even fault the person in the pew because without knowing about the earliest Christians, yeah. and I mean the earliest, earliest Christians, that they did this, how did they? Ha- That's the one thing I would just ask people to look at. What did the earliest, yeah. earliest Christians do? Don't you want to do that? Yeah, in fact, one of those earliest Christians um, actually said, when it came to this very issue, don't trust your senses. It is our Lord. And that's our danger. We want to only, we, we live in a culture that says, only what I can see or feel or taste or touch is real. Yeah. Everything else is fleeting, unknowing. That's like your atheist friend would have mm-hmm. been in that camp. One more verse to look at because it is this follows the trajectory of the verses that you have chosen for us. It's Matthew chapter seven, verse twenty-one, which are in the last section of the Sermon on the Mount, after Christ has said so much of which all of us have heard many times in our life, he does say um, in verse twenty-one that not everyone who says to me, "Lord, Lord," shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You remember that one as a little Well, I remember that one because my <laughs> my mother used to use that one with us all the time as her <laughs> reminder that you were not guaranteed a spot. And she had no 
knowledge to back that up and had no way of realizing that she was flying in the face of a sola fide there. But she would tell you, complete with wagging finger, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. And I'd say, oh, boy, that's a little scary. Um, and later on would really dismiss it as, you know, coming from a woman with, you know, she had a high school education. She didn't know really her theology, but she knew more than I knew. <laughs> um, and it was her way of telling us, and it's my way of reminding myself now that they can speak in his name. They can speak to the Lord. They can speak, say they're speaking for the Lord. Uh, doesn't mean you're getting into his kingdom. Doesn't mean you're in his kingdom now and working truly for the advancement of his kingdom. And uh, that scripture is always present in my mind for yeah. those two reasons. Yeah, when I preached this way back when, when I was a Presbyterian, I kept going in terms of the scriptures because mm-hmm. the next verse says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy yeah. in your name and cast out <laughs> demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. And so I would take this verse to say, see, guys that want think they can earn their way to heaven yeah. aren't going to make it. Well, and I'm wondering, who, whoever teaches that you think you can earn your way to heaven, no one teaches that, at least no one faithfully. And the, the way our... Our church teaches that the Catholic Church is about it's about being holy. It's about being uh, changed by grace, uh, being changed through the the indwelling Holy Spirit, the experiencing of the divine life within us. That's what it means to know Him. Yeah, and there, you know, again, without the idea of uh, the stories of the saints, things that I never would have thought of as a Protestant. You know, an idea, you know be perfect as I am perfect. I I never would have thought of a scripture like that twice and then would have said perfect. Well, I'm certainly not going to reach that. But if you're only shooting for, yeah, I believe, that's you're going to get less than that. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we are called to, by grace, recognize our inabilities, our failings, our sinfulness. As we say in the Mass, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Only say the word of And my soul shall be healed. healed. That's what it's about. It's all surrendered to Jesus Christ, experiencing the grace of his sacrament so that we can go closer to him. Nicole, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Oh, it's it's great to have you on the program. And our prayers are with you and your family and your thank two you. little ones, right? Two little ones. Yep, Carly and Aaron. <laughs> all right. And you're continuing to teach over at St. Anselm's? Uh, no, my daughter attends there, but we're super active in the parish, and it's just a great Catholic family in Chesterland, Ohio. All right. Well, great. Thank you, Nicole. And thank you for joining us on the episode of Deep in Scripture. God bless. See you next week. <laughs>